He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys with you today, along with Taylor Williams and Jim Woodward. Boys, we had the Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield Country Club, and Ju Young Kim comes out firing yesterday. Taylor shoots a 27 on the front nine on his way to a 61 to win the golf tournament by five shots over Sung J.M., John Huh, and then Ben Griffin. And our own Max McGreevy round out the top five along with Russell Henley and Taylor Moore right there uh, in fifth as well. T-Dub, what were your thoughts on Ju Young Kim's 61 yesterday? I mean, guys, I'm just sitting here, you know, watching a little bit of the golf, and I'm like, can this kid miss a putt? I mean, I, and I, I get done, I look at the analytics at the final end of the day. Your young Kim gained 4.52 strokes game putting yesterday, and he gained 3.04 on the week. It's like the kid had an absolutely magical putter going after the very first hole of the tournament where it might have been a record. I don't think this has ever been done. We need a, a statistician to be able to find this out. Has anyone ever opened a tournament with a quadruple bogey and still won? And not just one, but one by five shots, too. It's absolutely unbelievable to run this kid win on the last 71 holes that Ju Young Kim played. What is absolutely spectacular. And just, like I said, just looking at the stats, 3.04 on the green. He figured those Donald Ross greens out very easily. What is crazy is how about doing it the last tournament when you have to? And you That's right. I mean, there's a lot of pressure going into that last tournament of the year. Or would he? Hey, real quick, real quick. Would there be less pressure because, you know, maybe you didn't expect to be there anyways? Well, granted, sometimes you go out of the box and you're going to – one of the best things you ever do, the the first open I qualified for, I doubled my first hole. Yep. Made double bow yard part. start. And I went – well, there goes this. So, you know, what I do? I just kind of let my guard down and said, well, hell, I'll just go have fun. I'll get to play 35 more holes. You know, 10 under later, I qualified for an open. So, I, I get done. I, you hear it all the time. A guy gets out there and makes a big number, and he thinks, oh, well, I'm done for the day. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. But this kid, good gosh, 61. I'm, I was like, Taylor, I watched a little bit of it, not a lot. But every time I watched him putt, it went in. Yeah, I know that. T-Dub. It, it usually does when you shoot 61. 100%. And, and T-Dub, I mean, I, I'd have to fact check this. I, I didn't have time to fact check it this morning, but maybe one of Cam Smith's rounds were higher than 4.52 on the round in round four, T-Dub. Uh, over four and a half shots, strokes gained on the greens yesterday. Is that the best putting round of the year? It's got to be pretty close. I would say that until we go back and look at Ji Young Kim's second round, and he gained four point six two on the greens. And it's just so funny that he, Are you he, he, he gained. I, I did not realize that T Dub. That is unbelievable. Four. So, listen to this, guys. He had the guy two gained three point oh four. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he gained three point oh four on the week, guys. And yesterday or on Saturday, round three, he lost one point one four on the greens. So every other round combined. 
he, he gained, uh, like I said, 4.62. And in the, in the first round, even when he made the eight, he gained 4.16. So he either gained over four strokes on the greens or, or he lost, uh, lost over was shot on the green in that one round. So absolutely pretty crazy. But I think in all honesty, the crazier thing about it, guys, is, you know, I watched this kid. Obviously, he's, he's still a very young kid, and we just watched the game or whatever. And I thought he may have been, you know, 23, 24 years old. The kid's only 20 years, two months old. I mean, this guy has so much has so much golf in front of him, already up to, what was he? He was 34th in the world. I need to check and see what he moved up to. But still, that kid is on just an absolute heater. And I, I don't know about you, Woody, but it just seems like, for me, whatever reason, he is from South Korea. He moved up to 21st in the world, by the way. He's one spot behind a local countryman, Sung J.M. It seems like, for whatever reason, Woody, some of the, uh, the younger Asian players that come over and play, even Hideki for a while, doesn't seem to get recognized as much when they're younger as maybe like a speed or some of the younger guys did here. And I don't know exactly why that is, but this kid has some absolute game, Woody. Well, they, they, we really don't know anything about it uh, until they get here uh, because they're kind of guarded. The only thing you got to worry about in South Korea is he's going to have to do his two years of military service. Yeah. And that, that tends to, uh, you know, it doesn't stop them, but I'll tell you what it does, it does slow them down. So, but uh, maybe there's an Olympics and up for three years. So, and what where he just, can win a medal. And, just to be clear, he'll have to do 18 to 21 months uh, serving their nation upon the time of turning 19. So, so obviously, Sung Jae hasn't done his, and neither has Ju Young Kim. Uh, and that right. will go any time until they turn 28. So, um, if they don't get the exemption and, and they can get exemptions for working abroad or studying, um, but they're going to eventually have to do it unless they win that uh, Olympic medal. And T-Dub and Woody, I, I think that's kind of crazy if you win on the PGA Tour and don't get that exemption, considering it's almost as hard as winning a gold medal. Some people might argue it's harder. I would agree with you with that statement for sure. So uh, that's, I think that'll be something to watch. Um, it puts a lot more pressure on those guys because you all know as well as I do when you're on a heater and all of a sudden you got to take 18 months off and it's not like he's playing a lot of golf during that time I don't think uh, so I don't know I, I, I'm i not going to question what South Korea does it's none of my business we saw basically Ruben saying in Bay's game I mean he was on the President's Cup team a few years ago he has to go do his military service team and he comes back and we hardly hear from him again that's right. Yeah, very yeah. true. You're exactly true. right. Uh, guys, let's talk about the local guys who finished tied for fifth at 13 under. Max McGreevy first shot five under in the final round, and Taylor Moore shoots three under in the final round. Uh, T-Dub, tell me what that did for those guys. I mean, just a huge week, especially for Max McGreevy, right? Yeah, so so Max, in my opinion, needed it needed it the most out of anyone. I mean, because you could just look at every single player in the field, and he was literally 126 out of 125 people that make it. So he is the spotlight of pressure on the week. And goes out, like you said, finished T-fifth. Really, in all honesty, besides the opposite field events this year, Max hadn't been playing particularly well. So this is by far his best finish in a really solid field event. So that moved him up all the way to 104th in the rankings. So that gets him in this week at the at the St. Jude. And then Taylor Moore in particular, it could have benefited him almost as much because he was in 76th place, bumped him up to, uh, yeah, 76th place, bumped him up to 64th place. And what that does is that puts him in a very solid position too. If he can just have a good week next week, guys, he's going to be able to get into the BMW. That's, uh, that's the second playoff event, which that is, 
very that's even more of a money making tournament because there's not a cut there. That's right. But there is going to be a cut this, this week. So absolutely very very crucial for Taylor Moore if he's able Woody in his first year on tour to not just make it to the playoffs but make it to the the second playoff event. And heaven forbid if he has two good weeks, he might even make it to the tour championship. Just an absolutely stellar stellar year for anyone, would it be yelling on your first year on tour? That's pretty crazy. What we talked about, I don't know, you guys remember, we talked about Taylor Gooch and Taylor Moore. We talked about the two Taylors that we thought would have the best year. We didn't know Gooch was going to go. Well, we kind of did, but we didn't know he was going to live. For Taylor Moore to come through in the clutch the way he did, and Max McGreevy, I mean, that is, that is so strong for Oklahoma and these young guys because there's a lot of young guys that practice out at Oak Tree National that, that watch those two and they see, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. So it's it's unbelievable. I'm now now I'm really pulling for Taylor Moore because I would love to see that little son gun sneak in there and get to play in that tour championship. Oh wow, would that be big? It really would be. And, guys, we see the, the happiness of making uh, that 125. And, and the one guy that made the PGA Tour last year from around here, Josh Creel, uh, that we haven't talked about, he actually um, is headed back to the Corn Ferry next year. Um, you know, he said, horseshoes and hand grenades. The road back starts Monday. Can't wait to spend some much-needed time with my family. That's kind of the other side of golf that we don't get to see. Obviously, he'll get a chance um, in Corn Ferry finals but uh guys i mean it's it's kind of like you said horseshoes and hand grenades woody i mean you you did it your for your profession your entire career just tell us about the other side of it well i was lucky my rookie year i finished second in canada and moved from 190th on the money list to 116 um the 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 bad thing about that was is I didn't get in the last four events because the reshuffle had already taken place, so I had to sit at home and watch and just barely got in. I got in on the number. Um, it, it was gut-wrenching. It, I, I, I would rather be playing than watching. It's killer from that standpoint. The other side of the coin, in 91, I was revamping my golf swing, played like crap the whole year, but luckily I had it where I wanted it by the time tour school came around, I went right through tour school and made it easily. I think Josh is talking about having the right attitude. Go home, have some family time, then get refocused. He's a great player. He's got the skill level. He just has to go, okay, you know what? I didn't do it, but I can go back and go through the corn ferry and, and do it that way. I can go to that tour school, those four tournaments. I play good. I'm right back out there again. Um, I think it's all about attitude guys. I really do. If you want to whine and piss and moan, you're probably going to end up back playing it, uh, you know, with your buddies. Uh, you, you've got to have a special kind of mode on to play that kind of high-level golf. And it's all about attitude and confidence. And it sounds like Josh has accepted it. He didn't play as good as he wants to, but he knows if he plays four good weeks, he's right back out there again. And he's learned from this experience. It should make him a better player, and away he'll go. But it is a gut-wrenching week. And Woody, that's a great point because I've heard from other guys that Josh just continues to stay positive and, and he had uh, a really tough start. I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, you know, obviously he gets in in Corn Ferry Finals last year uh, and then gets COVID in Hawaii and has to spend two weeks in Hawaii to start off his PGA Tour career um, and then has the baby. It was just bad timing all around and then trying to learn these courses, uh, TD of it, it just there was so many reasons why Josh could be negative about the situation and it seems like he's handling it the right way 
Well, you know, it's one of the reasons why I mentioned what Taylor Moore's done has been so impressive because right. the first year out there on tour is such a test, and it, you have to you have to not even be able to learn on the fly, but you have to be able to adapt on the fly, and you have to be able to get your game adjusted to different golf courses. You have to know because even traveling on the mini tours compared to PJ Tour, it, 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 while it's similar, it's very different in a lot of ways. So. I think for Creel, I think it's a fine line between just like what Woody said is you have to be able to not get down on yourself at the same time. You need to be able to sit back and maybe do a little bit of, you know, helpful evaluation and say, okay, well, you know, where was, where was my game lacking here? Was it, was it more mental process? Was it, uh, you know, core strategy? Was it that thing? Was it an actual, you know, limitation in his game that he had? Whatever it is, just be able to honestly dissect that and say, okay, well, how am I going to do this to be better? And, I'll tell you this right now, guys. If he's able to do that, Creel's going to absolutely kill it next year on the Corn Ferry Tour. I, I do not doubt that for one minute. So, I, like I said, I mentioned this yesterday on the radio show, Sam. I don't think this is going to be the end of Creel. He's going to be out there for, for still some time. And I would, I would, if I had to bet my money, I would say his next year will be on the Corn Ferry Tour. But then after that, he'll be back on the PJ Tour again, where I think he'll be able to take some of these lessons that he learned and transcend them into a little bit more success. 100% guys. I, I want to cover a couple other stories quickly before we get to Reen Gibson. Uh, guys, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts and Woody, I'll start with you. Uh, Willie Z splits with his best friend and his caddy, Ryan Goble, in the middle of the Wyndham Championship. Uh, Josh Gregory out of Dallas, a, a great teaching professional down there, uh, takes over the bag for him for the last couple days. Um, but Joel Stock, who used to caddy for Kevin Tway, uh, will take over for Will Zalatoris in the playoffs. Uh, what do you, just tell us a little bit about that caddy player relationship. And and even though these guys are best friends, it seems like they uh, got tired of each other a little bit. It, it, it's it's kind of like a marriage in a lot of ways, guys. It really is. You spend probably more time with your caddy than you almost do with your wife when you're out there playing as many weeks. Now, Will didn't play as many weeks as some guys do. It is unbelievable how one little thing or a couple of things will all of a sudden get you going kind of sideways and just get you kind of thinking, you know, I, I'm really not having as much fun with this dude as I used to. I'm, I'm not that pleased with what I've got. And it is a difficult decision, especially when you're a Will Dallas horse, as good as he has played with the, almost winning three different majors to take that caddy and say, yeah, we're just not getting along anymore, and to get rid of them. Um, I understand it. You see it all the time. Uh, little did we know Bones quit on Phil because he wasn't getting paid. <laughs> yeah, Bones fired uh, Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bones fired Phil. But, but we've seen it over the years. We have seen caddies go their separate ways. Fluff with Tiger early on. Fluff was great for Tiger. But the problem was is, you know, Fluff started getting where he was trying to be on commercials and things like that. Right. Tiger didn't like that. It, it's about Tiger. It's not about my caddy. And so they kind of went their separate ways. So there's been big relationships, caddy, player, that have just kind of gone south. We really won't know because in the truth of the matter is nobody wants to sling their dirt. Nobody wants to spread mud. Uh I'm sure Will wants his caddy to get a good bag, and his caddy will get a good bag. If he if he worked for somebody like Will's Auto Tour, somebody's going to pick him up. And that, by the way, just, just to be transparent, uh, T-Dub, Willie Z did come out and say that this is not permanent or, it, you know, this is just temporary, that they might just need a little break from each other, right? 
There you go. Yeah, that's what that's what it that's what it sounds like. Where it's just you know, like I said, they're kind of getting each other's skin too much. And you know, in all honesty, that could make sense. I mean, Josh Norris has been what three, two or three of the majors. He was off by one shot. I mean, that's. Yeah. I, I understand that at the end of the day, you want to look at everything as yourself, but it, it's if there's any one little dispute that goes wrong between your player and caddy, it just seems like there was tension that was building there, Sam, and it's just kind of like friction. You know, it's almost like tectonic plates that just keep rubbing against each other. Then all of a sudden, they, once they go too far, that's when the earthquake or the tsunami happens. And I feel like that's what happened. It just happened in the middle of the of the final regular season term on the PJ Tour. It's just the timing of it is what's so funny to me, and it's going to be interesting to see. How long? How long they stay separated? If they if they do end up getting back together, are they going to be separated for the playoffs? Are they going to be separated through the Presidents Cup? Um, by the start of next year at 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 the Masters in twenty twenty three, where uh, Donald has had great success so far, is he going to be there on the back? So I think that this is a timeline of events. You know, when if they just would have said, you know, we're just going to split or whatever, I wouldn't even be looking into it. But the fact that they're talking about they may reunite again, it's going to be interesting to see uh, whenever that happens. And then the uh, the guy that's caddying for Zalatoris now. You know, who, who knows how long he's going to be on the back. So it's going to be interesting. But like we saw with Scotty Sheffer, you know, he gets uh, he gets a new caddy, old uh, Ted Scott, uh, Bob Watson's old caddy, and he just lights the world on fire. So maybe that's what Zalatoris is lacking. It may, may help him make a three-footer, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one one last uh, guy that I want to talk to you guys about uh, before we get to Rian is Sung J M. Uh, going through his putting stats, he gained two point eight one in the first round. He gained one point four in the second round. He gained two point three five in the third round. And T Dub he lost two point three in round four. Did you see anything different technically from Sung J on Sunday? That's anything technically? No, I think that. I saw I saw a few putts where it was you know he didn't get the proper speed I think because we we talk about all the time it's speed that dictates the line and I think that some of the putts he was leaving them a little bit short he did hit a lot of good putts that really just didn't go in the hole so I think it was a little mix of especially early on maybe not being as aggressive with the putts as he should have been but then towards the end it seemed like he started to hit some better putts that just didn't didn't fall in and that's the nature of golf whenever you put three three really straight good days in a row it's hard to make it a fourth it's hard to put every single round really good in a professional golf tournament so i think that in all honesty the wheels just kind of the wheels didn't fall off but it was just the, the, the luck and the roll just being an extra inch here or there was really the difference in the putts not going in but i see anything technically no it was just i think the speed was a little bit different sam what about you woody did you see anything I think what I saw is that that Joe was just making everything and putting so much pressure on everybody else in the field. He was running off and leaving everybody. And yeah. so with that, you know, you kind of put a little more pressure on yourself and think, golly, this guy, he just keeps making birdies. I got to make birdies. And, and so I think you just kind of get a little bit of an attitude going, God, I, I got to make this. Instead, I just got, instead of just rolling, if it goes in good, uh, that's where that speed kind of changes, like DW's talking about. I, I think, I think you get to a point where when you're trying so hard to make a putt, you can call in the dogs and you know pour water on the fire. It's hunts over. You you can't force a ball in the hole. The ball goes in the hole because you just relax and say, hey, what the hell? It's going in or it's not. And usually it does. I, we, do we always make the second putt after we miss the first one? Yeah, about 99%. <laughs> Cause why? We don't give a crap anymore. It's over. So, uh, I, that's all I saw. It, it, it wasn't so much him as it was Joe just putting so much pressure on everybody. He just was making everything and everybody just kind of went into a panic mode and couldn't catch him. Yep. 
Absolutely. Guys, I got to use my Groove It brush yesterday. I played golf for the first time in a long time yesterday. And Woody, for some reason, the less I play, the better I get. I actually shot uh, one under par yesterday. Why, why, why is that? I'm actually putting great now for some reason. Um. You know what? You don't care anymore. <laughs> that's, You're that's right. actually playing golf for fun. <laughs> fun on. You're playing golf for fun. So when all four of us go at the end of this month to play in our all-timers tournament at Oak Tree, I want you guys to remember that, okay? <laughs> remember that you don't really care. And we're doing it for a good cause. We don't care. We're just going to roll it on that line. We think it's breaking and just have fun. I hate to use that term. But if you learn to have fun playing any game, you will usually play it better. Absolutely. And that's what you guys played under. You were trying to compete at a high level. You put a lot of pressure on yourselves. Uh, Sometimes that backfires. Not sometimes, almost 100% 100% of the time that backfires. <laughs> That's exactly right. And speaking of Groove It Brush, you can go to GrooveItBrush.com and enter promo code 73rd hole and get 10% off your Groove It Brush. It's the greatest club cleaner ever made. Just squirt a little water on the club with the brush and then scrub it off. Has the greatest bristles on the planet. And what he mentioned, the ALZ golf tournament, the hashtag end ALZ golf tournament for Alzheimer's. Uh, what a great cause that is it's coming up on august 29th at oak tree country club you can hit up tyler marks on facebook uh, and get the information to buy a team there'll be great prizes we'll do our show from there uh at oak tree on august 29th for the hashtag end alz golf tournament all right guys i'm excited about this interview it didn't happen last week he actually got randomly drug tested by the pga tour when uh we were supposed to interview him so he's being nice enough uh to make up the time this week uh we will have rian gibson coming up here right after the break to talk about live and he wants to give his opinions on it i think it's very interesting uh that uh, you know a corn fairy slash pga tour player has some things that uh he wants to air out so uh let's hit a break and then come back with the man who has shot the lowest score in the history of golf rian gibson when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing mccray roofing is oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist for years jeff mccray and the experienced team at mccray roofing and exteriors have served fellow oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs McCray Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McCray Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McCray Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McCray Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mccrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. We are back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all your local golf news 
from Gulf, Oklahoma, and we are excited to be joined by the man who did shoot a 55, the lowest score in the history of golf, Rian Gibson, uh, now playing on the Corn Ferry Tour. Rian, how's it going today? Thank you for taking the time. Uh, doing good, Sam. Uh, just in the car, heading up to Omaha for the uh, last regular event of the year. Absolutely, and uh, let's start there. I mean, tell us about the season and, and tell us how the game is right now, Rian. Yeah, this uh it's been an interesting season for me. Uh, haven't had my best stuff, kind of working through a couple of changes. Um, but to think the season's pretty much already over is crazy to me. Um, you know, I, I started the year out in January going to the Bahamas. And I think we're already 23, 24 events into the season and it's done. It's crazy. Like, well, I don't know where the time went. Life needs to slow down a little bit. Absolutely, and I saw you at our good buddy Michael Gellerman's birthday party, and we were talking about uh, all the stories, really, in the game of golf, and I was just like, why don't you come on, and you were like, sure. Um, so, Rian, just give us your overall thoughts uh, about where the game of golf is right now. Um, we'll get into so- some specifics on Live later on, but but I'm just curious to get your overall take on it to kind of start. Um, interesting time. Uh, in the golf space right now. The landscape is definitely changing. Um, the PGA Tour has never had you know, a competition or another league kind of come on and really take the quality of players that Liv has taken. And there's a lot of things changing very quickly at the PGA Tour to keep the guys happy and to try to keep what's left at the Tour. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it's definitely an interesting time in the space of golf and you know, only time will tell you know, how that you know, down the road. Rian, you know, I think it's very interesting because I'll, I'll flip on the golf channel, especially since all this PGA Tour Live stuff has started and it seems like every PGA Tour player to get on there is just on there just ripping Live and they think it's the worst thing ever. But I feel like from other players I talk to, really the guys that aren't getting interviewed all the time, it doesn't seem like that they have that much sustain for So, I mean, what's been the overall feel a round tour from all the players collectively about kind of the, the way that the game's going? I think you've got to look at it from kind of two sides. Like, the guys that are still committed to the PGA Tour, you know, are definitely going to prop up that tour, while the guys that left to live are going to, you know, not necessarily speak ill will on the PGA Tour. It's just gotten them to what they have, but they're not going to, they're not going to speak bad on the opportunity they have with live either. You know, so they're going to try and prop that tour up, you know, for their sake again. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to hear people's opinions on it. Um, you know, I've listened to some other podcasts and other people's opinions. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just so new to the space that no one really knows, um, you know, what's going to happen. And, you know, you, you can't fault the guy for taking generational money either. Brian, here's a good question, Woody. And I'd yeah. be just curious, if Liv called you tomorrow and invited you, would you go? Absolutely, I would. Um, and there's a couple of factors that kind of play into that. One, obviously, the money would be life-changing for myself and my, and my young family, no doubt. Um, I've played three years on the PGA Tour. I've played five, maybe four years on the Colbert Tour. I haven't played enough. I haven't won on the PGA Tour, so I'm not a lifetime member. So I don't get lifetime health insurance. Uh, and, and thirdly, um, I haven't met the criteria for the five years to actually get my pension, uh, my retirement plan, which 
don't get me wrong, the PJ Tour has one of the best retirement plans, but you still have to play five years to get that. Um, and that's kind of, you know, my goal is to get back out there and get two more years. So um, for someone in my position, that kind of the three, the three aspects that I would look at for me and how it affects me uh, and my family moving forward. And it would be a no-brainer for me. Um, and that's just that's how I look at it. Rian, I'm curious. Obviously, we know that the Live guys are upset with many things that Jay Monahan has done. Um, what What's your feel for PGA Tour players and Corn Ferry players? Are they upset with Monahan as well for how he's handled the situation? Um, look, I'm not. I can't speak for everyone. I spoke to a couple guys. Um, could have been handled a little bit differently, possibly. Um, I see Jay's position. He's just simply trying to hold fast and, and really stand his position to keep what he's built or what the tour has built. Um, but the tour is built on more of a monopoly. They haven't had this competition, you know, enter our space before. Um, could have things been handled a little bit differently? Probably. Do I think so? I think so, yes. Um, some people might fight me on that. But, you know, I guess the players board have hired him. You know, I mean, I don't... I never got a vote to vote for him, you know, whereas a lot of people are saying we are a member on tour. He's voted by the official way higher than me. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, with his position and stuff moving forward too. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 a tough, it's a tough question. And, and Rian, you know, I, I'm curious. You mentioned he could have done things differently in your opinion. Name a couple examples of things that you, you feel like he could have done different. Um, I would have liked to have seen, and look, I don't, I don't know how this whole live venture started, but it's my understanding that there was dialogue from the live, the PGA Tour, trying to start a conversation. You know, um, it's my understanding they didn't really want to go up against the PGA Tour. This was just going to be more of eight to ten events in the fall um, when the tour wasn't necessarily playing that full schedule. Um, you know, some big events at the end of the year. And then it seemed like Jay and the PGA Tour kind of weren't open to it, just even a discussion, you know, to listen to what the ideas that they have. Because if the Saudis and the Live want to inject this much money into the tour, I mean, I think the tour may have been a little naive not to at least, you know, have a conversation because that money is huge. You know, the money they're throwing out there is astronomical. And it seems like from the stance that they've gone, the Live guys just turned around and said, well, maybe we don't need the partner." have the right to say where golfers can and can't play and when they can and when they can't. So as your own golfer, as your own independent contractor, essentially the owner of your own business, where do you stand on the fact of, of a player should be able to play in any tournament where they want or should they be constrained to the rules of the PGA Tour? Well, it's really funny because before Liv was around, you know, if you look at a lot of the overseas players, uh, kind of myself included, like once I got down here in America, I would head to Australia and play in the Australian event. I would support my home tour. Um, you'd have guys like Holzer and Westwood that go home and play English events. You 
know. So in the past, before Liz was a thing, you know, overseas players were world players. Like Ernie Ellis and Gary Player were kind of the very, you know, first crop to do that. So it's, as independent contractors, yeah, you're right. We, we can kind of play, you know, more or less where we want. And then all of a sudden, since Liz becomes a thing, Stuart says, no, we can't. So that hasn't been that way in the past. Um, so that's, that's an interesting take, in my opinion, as to all of a sudden they're just going to stop players from playing overseas, which, you know, that's a little naive in my opinion. Okay, Rand, let me change the subject for you. I know, Liv, we all want to talk about it, but it's going to run its course. You and I have had this discussion out at Oak Tree National on more than one occasion. I point blank said to you, when you're done playing golf, you need to teach because I've watched you. I've watched you help people. At I second that, absolutely. I, I've listened to you, and you said that might be something you'd be interested in doing. And, of course, I was first one to tell you, okay, go to where you can make some real money and get your own teaching school. And is that something you still got in the back of your mind one day? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I really have a, a passion for teaching. I like to see people get better and see a smile on their face when they haven't hit a shot like that before. You know, that kind of energizes me a lot. Um, but I still feel like I've got, you know, some, some good golf in me. Um, the last couple of years have been a bit of a struggle, but I really feel like the last couple of, couple of months with what I'm doing uh, hasn't necessarily translated into my golf. Um, but I would love, you know, luckily I won on this tour a couple of years ago, but, you know, my goal right now or ambition is to get that fifth year so I can get that retirement money that I've already kind of earned on the PGA Tour. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I haven't had the, the years that I thought I would have had. Um, you know, it's in the back of my mind. I've, I mean, I love golf. I love staying golf. Don't get me wrong. And, and teaching is a passion. So, um it's, it's, it's cool of you to see me out there and, and think of me that way. Cause, I mean, I, like I said, I, I do have a passion. I do love it. I can second that. I have gotten a lesson uh, from Rian before. He is great on the range teaching as well. Uh, Rian, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the uh, new Corn Ferry Finals changes, or, or I mean lack of it, uh, you know, and, and tell us about all the changes uh, that we've seen, you know, in the past month or so. I know it's not this year, but starting next year. Yeah, I think – I think in response to Liv, um, you know, with, with Q School the following year going back to PJ Tour cards, that's going to change a lot of things. Um, you know, with with getting rid of the current format of the Corn Ferry Finals where 25 cards go to the tour. Um, so basically you have 25 in the regular season, 25 from the Corn Ferry Finals. So in effect, there were 50 cards. Um, now we're going back to 30 in the regular season with none of the playoffs. So effectively, you know, you've cut out 20 cards, which no one's really, you know, talking about, which is a little disappointing in my opinion. Get um, your opportunities gone a little bit. And then, you know, they have to fulfill it with four, well, they're doing four now. It used to be four, but they're going to do four playoff events now. It's going to kind of follow the FedEx Cup to where, you know, the, the field gets smaller as you progress, but I think that's just a way to add more events at the end of the schedule uh, and still make, you know, the 30, highlight the 30 come the two championship, you know? 
I absolutely agree with that, Ryan. And, you know, just kind of along the same lines of the live, that's just a little bit different. But as a native Australian, obviously, Greg Norman was probably the, the most prolific golfer uh, around your time growing up, for sure. And it seems like with all the live, with him being the commissioner, it's almost like tarnished his reputation. I mean, we have Brandon Chambly calling, saying to have him removed from the World Golf Hall of Fame and atrocious stuff like that. So just as a as a native Australian, how have you seen Greg Norman's reputation change uh, really ever since this live started uh, coming around? Um. Look, I, I've met Greg a few times. I used to, I've, I've been a Greg Norman clothing ambassador for a couple of years. Uh, it's, it's difficult to see people like Brandel uh, talk ill will on someone that I've looked up to my whole life. Um, he's been great not only for the game in Australia, but I think the game in general. Uh, what he did in the game of golf is absolutely incredible. Uh, I listened to your guys' podcast a couple of weeks ago when you had Bob Sway on. And Bob brought up the fact that he had the Saturday slam of the majors, I think in 87, where he led every major, you know, into Sunday. I mean, that's just incredible. So what he's done in the, in the game of golf worldwide is huge. And, you know, someone I looked up to and, you know, he, he, he was definitely one of those global ambassadors in the game of golf. And to see Brandon kind of come out and have him through to the Hall of Fame, that's, that's a little extreme in my opinion. Um, but like I said, I, I idolize the guy. And, yeah, that's pretty much all I can say. I mean, I, yeah, I still do. I mean, he's, he's incredible. When we talk about the media, and, and this is what's tough, their paycheck is based on what the PGA Tour says it is. <laughs> Basically, the, the media is kind of tied to, you know, they have to put out this story. And in America, uh, we've all been privy to the fact that if you get on the wrong side of the media, they can bury you. Are you kind of shocked at still, though? I'm sure you're not because you, you probably know Greg Norman pretty well. And the fact that he has dug his heels in and his point blank said, I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to make this work. Does that kind of shock you in a way or not at all? Yeah, it does shock me in a way. I, like I said earlier, I, I wish there was a, a little bit better dialogue you know, between the two parties if there was a common ground they could maybe you know meet on or, or figure figure it out right um digging the hills then you know and you, you know this better than anyone back in the 80s when Greg kind of had some ideas for the tour and you know world golf championship being one of them um the tour kind of squashed his idea and then you know lo and behold a number of years later it, it, it went that route as the world golf championship and trying to encompass more more tournaments with the best players in the world um, it seems like Greg, you know, he's definitely sticking his heels and because a lot of the ideas he had have been, you know, maybe taken later down the road. Um, and then with regards to the whole media thing, Woody, you hit it right on, right nail on the head. You know, the people that are pushing the media are simply employed by that one side being the PGA Tour. Their paycheck comes by covering golf, which is the PGA Tour, whether it's NBC, whether it's, you know, Golf Week. Uh, whether it's golf digest, golf.com, you know, like they're not going to upset current their current job or climate with where their money is coming from and where what they're going to cover. So I think that's why you're definitely seeing, you know, negative stuff about this and, you know, negative stuff about that whole new golf league. 
Rian, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the future of the PGA Tour, not just guys going over there, even though I am curious uh, how many guys you think might go over there, but what, what do you think um, the future is? Do you think that, uh, for instance, Monaghan is running it into the ground, or do you think it'll sustain itself uh, in the distant future? Um, I was on the range with Scott LaFlank yesterday uh, up at Oak Tree hitting a few balls, and, you know, we we're kind of going back and forth, you know, just general range talk, locker room talk. And, you know, to, to the PGA Tour, with the current business model they have, I think it needs to change. I, I think it's a little outdated. Um, I think they need to be more proactive in, you know, listening to the player a little bit more. And, you know, they've had a monopoly, and what they've had has worked. But, you know, with Liv coming on board and, and these big-name guys going, like, what are some of the issues they had? What would they like to be changed? Now, I just don't feel like there's enough open dialogue between the people making the rules and, and the player necessarily. Um, so I think golf right now, especially on the PGA Tour, it's, it's a little oversaturated, like 44 regular PGA Tour events. I mean, that's a lot of golf. And mm-hmm. I think in response to that, you're seeing change schedule um, with guys wanting time off. Uh, and I know that's obviously one of the big proponents for these guys going to live is they want to play less. Um, you know, the tour makes them play 15 events a year to get our pension. So if you play 15 and then, you know, a couple of majors, you're already at 20. Um, and if, you, if you're an overseas player and want to go home and play some events, you're already looking at, you know, 22, 23, 24. You know, add, add in extra days, they add in a couple of extra weeks because of those travel days. Um, you know, it's, it's almost as if they're diluting their product a little bit. Um, so, in my opinion, I'd like to see the model just be a bit more proactive and be, be more adaptable to the current climate. That's all. Yeah, Ray, and kind of on the same lines, one of the more interesting things I saw within the last week was that the PGA Tour is really their main audience or their most viewerships come from the ages of about 60 to 65. And the live the first few events has been around the thirty to thirty five uh, age mark. So live seems to be doing a lot better job at targeting the young audience. So, as a, from a player's perspective, what are some ways that you think the tour could be able to start targeting kind of the younger crowd um, in golf to help kind of grow the game for future generations? Well, I think golf in general is getting it actually is getting a little bit younger. I think COVID has been fantastic for golf. Um, you know, the amount of younger people I'm seeing at courses now, uh, especially with kids, I think it's great, and I think that's one of the reasons where that's where Liv is having success. Um, you know, once again, the PGA Tour is, hasn't really changed much in the last, you know, number of years. And it is an older, it is an older demographic of watchers. Um, how we get younger people to watch the PGA Tour, I just think you've got to be more creative. Like, than trying to bring in different ways to watch golf. Um, you know, different, different ideas, new ideas. And it seems to be successful. I mean, time will tell. They've only had three events. But for a league to come on you know, so quickly and only have three events, I think they've done pretty well for themselves. Um, and I think they're only going to get better and better. And once again, I think if the PGA Tour can adapt a little more, and just, I mean, look, I don't want the PGA Tour to go to shotgun start by any means, but um, I just think there, are, there may be some things there that they could take just to get that younger demographic into golf. Here's a here's another question for you, which I've been thinking about this for ever since Liv came about. 
the PGA Tour, if they really wanted to get out of the box and they really want to be better for growing the game, we all know that golf has gotten, it, you said it, that's true. COVID was bad for a lot of things. It was great for golf. What would be wrong with the PGA Tour guaranteeing salaries? Let's say you qualify. You're one of the top 125. What would be wrong with guaranteeing some sort of salary for the 125th guy and growing it up to the number one guy gets paid this much and the number 125 gets paid this much? At least then they'd have a little bit more of a grounds to stand on, in my opinion, to saying they're an employee of ours. We can tell them what we want to do. Uh, kind of like all the other major sports right now, these guys sign a contract. Now, that doesn't mean they won't bolt and go to free agency or whatever it might be, but what what would be so hard for the PGA Tour? Because if you're one of the top 125 best players in the world, which I think that's what you'd be if you're on the PGA Tour, and to get nothing, nothing other than a chance to go make some money, do you find that just kind of kind of hard to swallow? Woody, you are right. You hit the nail on the head again. If if the PGA Tour pays Paulus the 125 to keep their card and hold the 50 currently to graduate off the tour. If they got a stipend at the start of the year for, say, half a million bucks, Liv would not be a thing. It would not even be around. Like, you would be more of an employee of the tour. You would have to kind of do more of what the tour requires. And you couldn't jump ship and go play another tour. So I've had this conversation with many people is, Liv would not be around had that been the case. And it should have, it should have been that way a number of years ago, in my opinion. Um, the only hold-up to that, and I'm not, I don't really know. I know the two is set up as a 501-6D, I think it is now, charitable organization. For them to pay us, that may, that may void that. So that's the only competing factor, I think, that might be with how the, how the company's set up for paying us. Um, and that's, that's a question with someone way smarter than me. Uh, but I think you're right. I, I think if you're playing the PGA Tour, you've proven that you're one of the best players in the world. And if you go out and have a bad year, and it's going to cost you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars just to travel, you know, and after, after taxes and stuff, like you could literally, I mean, you could be in the hole after a bad year. You know, and, you, and there, are, there are a handful of rookies that get out there and struggle, and, you know, they lose money that year. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Ryan, kind of along those same lines, um, we heard James Hahn last week come out and talk about the expenses of having to travel from the Bahamas to, you know, like North Carolina to the West Coast and, and having to pay your caddy and pay your hotel and pay the rental car, all that stuff. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on kind of the same lines as like the PGA Tour is a nonprofit organization, but how does it make you feel that they come up with all this money for the big names um, and, and kind of leave you, you know, guys lower on the PGA Tour out to dry a little bit, right? Doesn't it make you feel like that? I mean, a little bit. I mean, the guys that, you know, haven't kind of solidified their spot on the tour, the tour kind of makes you go play these events because you have to, because you're trying to, you know, get your points to keep your cards for the following years. Whereas the big name guys that may want to play a championship that have the five year exemption, they don't they can pick and choose their schedule. They're not kind of chasing their tour cards, you know, per se that year. So they don't have to play Mexico and Bermuda back to back. Whereas someone in my position or, you know, 
take uh, Max Rodriguez this year that, that just solidified his card yesterday. You know, he has to go play those events or else he's going to fall behind the eight ball when it comes to the points and the FedEx stuff. Um, you know, so for someone like Max or myself, if we have to fly from Mexico to Bermuda to Japan or whatever the schedule was, yeah, we, we have to play and we, we have to pay it. It's just that's what we have to do. And it's, it's yeah, the expenses are crazy. Um, so, I mean, James has a point, but he, he, the criticism he copped on Twitter was, was pretty crazy. Someone screenshotted how much money he made on tour and like, you know, you're good, you can afford it. You know, like everyone thinks everyone out here is multi-millionaires. That, that couldn't be further from the case, especially these guys that graduate on the quantum tour. That's the same thing I've tried to tell people, Rian. It's just I don't understand why everyone thinks that everyone's like Dustin Johnson or Tiger Woods and just has all this money. They don't understand how much it costs to to be able to stay out there and to do the dream that you love. So I agree with everything you said right there. Um, last question I have for you, Rian. We both went to the great University of Oklahoma Christian. So I just got to ask, are you, do you hang around the, the team as much? Because whenever I was there, you, you were there quite a bit. And like, like the guys mentioned, you know, you helped me. I gave me some lessons, stuff like that. So kind of what's your interaction now with, with Oklahoma Christian, David Lynn, and all those guys? And what do you expect to see uh, from the team going forward this year? Um, so, yeah, being that I, I live out at Oak Tree and, you know, what's that, five miles from campus, I still have a great relationship with Coach Lynn and his dad, Greg. Um, you know, I see them as much as I can. You know, we travel like crazy. But, yeah, I still try to be as interactive with the team as I can. Um, it's really good to see them have some success. You know, they've had a couple of lean years there, transitioning from NAI golf to Division Two golf. Um, and, yeah, I, I still think as coach, as, as coach Lynn, you know, has been a big factor in my career. And, you know, I lean on him for, for advice every now and then. And uh, he knows my game pretty well. And, um, yeah, I, I, I love being around the guys. In fact, I live on number eight at Oak Tree, so there was a, a group of uh, three, three new recruits that came in and went out and introduced myself to them. And um, oh, wearing some of my hand-me-down Greg Norman shirts from last year. Uh, <laughs> so yes, it's good to have a relationship with the guys. And um, however I can help out, I like to. So uh, and then obviously that great indoor facility they build up on campus has been. You know, somewhere where I like to sneak up in the wintertime and hit some balls, and, uh, and that's another way I can interact with the team and help out however I can. Okay, one last. It's not a question for you. It's just a statement from an older man <laughs> that has walked, <laughs> walked your walk, has done what you've done. I never yep. want to – I never want to – I don't even know what the hell they called it when I was out there. I think it was a Nike. Uh, but here's what I would tell you. You're a good person. You're a good guy. God has a way of taking care of people that are good. I don't know what your future is going to bring, but I know you're good for golf. And I want you to keep your head down. And I want you to keep grinding. And if it's supposed to be that you're going to be a tour winner, guess what, son? It will happen. It will happen. And if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world to you, okay? You've got a lot to offer in the game of golf. Keep your chin up. Plugging, keep beating your head against that wall, and you know what? Sooner or later, you don't hit brick, you hit sheetrock, and you go right through it, okay? <laughs> I appreciate that, Woody. Words of wisdom, sure. <laughs> Woody, I don't know how I'm going to follow that, but I, I do have to get Rian's thoughts on a couple fun uh, local subjects around here. First, I'll ask you, uh, Rian, about Jimmy Austin getting the Corn Ferry event. What are your thoughts on that? It seems like a great idea, right? 
Man, I think it's, it's way long overdue, in my opinion. Um, Oklahoma is a great state for golf, and the fact that we don't have a tour event like a PJ tour event is is crazy to me. So we're a perfect market for a contrary tour event, and and props to everyone getting getting involved and, and making it happen. I know there was conversation with this a couple of years ago, but uh, to finally see it come to the great state of Oklahoma, my my second home, is fantastic and. Um, you know, the amount of good players that have come out of Oklahoma and then the amount of players that are still here is crazy. Um, the fact that Oklahoma State and OU are less than an hour and a half apart from each other and they have the programs that they do is, is incredible. So um, there can only be positives moving forward with having that. And then Oak Tree. I, I drove around uh, a couple nights ago on the golf cart, Rian. The greens are growing in nicely. The fairways are as pure as I've ever seen them. What are you excited about uh, about Oak Tree going to Bermuda Greens? Man, it's, it's, it's already a tough day. Uh, anyone you talk to will tell you that. And, uh, first couple of years are going to be a little tough, uh, a little firm, I'm sure, with the greens. But, man, like like you said, I've driven the course myself, and it's, it's in prime shape. It's, it's crazy to see when you take stress off off a golf course from a point standpoint how good it can be um, so I'm excited uh, I actually played with Miss, Mr. Everett Dobson last week um, and he's excited as well and, and props to him for kind of stepping up and you know taking charge and, and, and making the changes that I think is only going to make the place better and more special well, Rian, thank you so much for joining us today. And by the way, it, I, I've told this story to a lot of people. I don't know if I've ever told it on the podcast, but this is the perfect time. When when Tulsa discontinued their program, I didn't have a place to go um, after uh, that all happened up at Tulsa. And Rian and I were playing a lot of golf in the summertime, and Rian actually made the call to J.W. Vandenborn up at Kansas City, uh, and I ended up going and spending four years up there. So I owe you a big public thank you for that, Rian. <laughs> Mate, I more than happy to help. Yeah, that's, uh, I like to see people succeed in life, and I'm, I'm glad you found the spot, and I'm glad JW took you because I, I know you're uh, an asset to that program as well. Hey, thank you so much, and and Rian, that just shows the guy you are. Uh, good luck up in Omaha. Go play some good golf. All right. No, I appreciate it, guys, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Rian. Appreciate it, buddy. Rian Gibson of Oak Tree National here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Big, big thank you again to Rian Gibson for coming on the podcast and taking the time. Guys, what what a great guy Rian Gibson is, by the way. I mean, he's just the best, isn't he? Oh, and and I just want to vouch, especially, exactly, he's a great guy, but I also want to go back to what Woody was saying earlier about him being a good teacher because... I still swear to this day, the best lesson I've ever had was a 45-minute session on, on Oak Tree Family Size Range, and Rian gave me the lesson because he knows exactly, absolutely what he's talking about. Got, got to where I was hitting the ball probably the best I have for about a two-month stretch of my entire life, Woody. So, I mean, you were spot on there. It seems like that uh, Rian definitely knows what he's talking about. He does, and, and that's why I hated to do that on the show with, when we were asking all those questions, but I want him to know. You know, keep your head up. Keep pounding. Uh, life goes on. No matter what happens, don't ever look back and say, oh, I wish. I wish I'd have done that. Everybody always says to me, do you ever regret anything in your golf career? No. I, I don't regret one thing, nothing in my golf career. Not one thing. And that's hard to say when you're 65 years old, but I don't. Did I have some bad times? Oh, heck, yeah, I did. Did I have some great times? Yeah, I sure did. I got to do things I never dreamed I'd get to do for one reason, one reason only, because I was a golf professional. 
100%, guys. And you know who else is great, guys? That's Ring Family Dentistry, Doctors Phil and Brennan Ring. I know them personally, have since I was a little kid. Uh, and now, you know, like I always say on the podcast, he's a dentist now and I do podcasts. So so who took the right path in life, guys? That's uh, Brennan Ring. Uh, and go get all of your dental work done there. They do implants and clear liner orthodontics, same-day crowns, and all decisions, guys, are made by the patient uh go visit ring family dentistry give them a google they're the best in oklahoma city guys if you didn't hear um our radio show yesterday uh then we are going to bring it to you because it had some very interesting stuff and and guys we haven't really heard anyone read the exact legal print from this live antitrust lawsuit against the pga tour so we're going to bring it to you guys right here um, and we're going to give our thoughts on it. And so first, guys, the, the most interesting part to me of this antitrust lawsuit is, I'll, I'll read it straight from the lawsuit. It says, a judge in decree that the PGA Tour unreasonably restrained trade in violation of Section 1 of the Sherman Act when it entered into an agreement with the European Tour to boycott live golf and potential competitors and those who associate with Live Golf to try to prevent competition for professional golfers' services. So, Tita, basically they are saying that there was a little Carnegie, uh, you know, monopoly going on here, T-Dub. A, a, a little Rockefeller-Carnegie uh, partnership going on between the European Tour and the PGA Tour to keep these guys uh, out of elite professional golf. And that's the word we see a lot in this lawsuit is elite professional golf. Right, T-Dub? Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting because, like, we knew it from, from when the partnership was announced, right, that the, that the PGA Tour was going to be the big dog in that relationship. But Throughout the lawsuit, they give numerous quotes about how the European Tour just essentially surrendered all their power to the PGA Tour. And at that point, it makes it to where the PGA Tour literally can control every single thing. And, you know, along those same lines are, are the monopoly accusations that the Tour essentially uh, put a lot of pressure on the vendors and advertisers and sponsors saying that if any of them went to live, you know, I believe one of the uh, one of the examples was like a scorekeeping software for live. I can't remember the exact company off the top of my head, but pretty much the tour was like, no, if you go to them, we're not going to do anything with you. And it was just essentially blacklisting all these different people that could make some sort of business endeavor for the live, but the tour was pressuring them into doing it. And, you know, just even reading more through it, there's so many, so many different things. There's breach of contract for the players. There's the, the one of the things I thought was more interesting, this isn't really in the legal print, but the, the, the lawsuit was filed in Northern California. Um, you know, I remember I had that question before. Is this going to be in the United States? Where is this going to be at? Northern California, the reason for that is they said the majority of the PJ Tour events happen in that area. So that was their kind of reasoning behind that. But, uh, but Woody, I don't know. I read one. I read all 105 pages of this thing, and we'll get a little bit more into each little different category. By the way, you're an extreme nerd just, for that. You are a nerd for reading all 105 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I read the beginning and the end. And it was it was a fairly boring hour of my life, but in all honesty, it wasn't too bad. It was it was interesting because there was about almost four hundred lines of dialogue, and it seemed like almost all of it was something different, Woody. Which I, which is what's crazy to me. It just seems like one of the reasons why I think this lawsuit may take so long is that there's a lot of stuff they got to filter through here, without a doubt. In, in Northern California, I think they use the excuse there's six events there, but Northern California is very liberal very liberal so 
they're going with a judge, hopefully. And and again, I didn't read the whole thing like you did, T.W., but, but I will tell you this. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm glad I'm not. But as you read through that, it's like you said, it just circles. It keeps circling, keeps circling. But I didn't see anything that had any real merit to it. And I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. But I got to believe that Taylor and, and Hudson Swafford and that, I can't think of the other guy right off my top of my head. Yeah, but, Matt Jones. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna Matt Jones. They're gonna. I think they're gonna get. I think they're gonna get a. They're gonna get a junction that they get to play. And 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 again, I'm not a lawyer, so it's hard for me to talk that and and guarantee it. But I got a real feeling that they're gonna get in. I really do. Guys, the other interesting thing to me was that they actually kind of came after the majors a little bit saying, don't be persuaded by the PGA Tour. And here's the exact words that they use. They said, enjoin the PGA Tour from agreeing, contracting, or threatening the RNA, Masters, and or the PGA of America or others to punish, exclude, threaten, to exclude players otherwise eligible under the current eligibility rules from participating in elite golf events, including majors. T-Dub, to me, I think that they have already been doing that. I think that's the reason why they put that in there is because the PGA Tour has been saying, look, if you don't partner with us on this, you're going to be sorry you didn't. And what's funny to me is that I completely agree with you, Sam. I think that's what's happened, but I don't understand why the the Masters and the RNA and the PGA of America is a little different. But I don't understand why the RNA and the Masters. We just look at the PGA Tour and say, "Screw you, dude. We're going to do what's best for us." I don't understand right. why the PGA Tour feels like it's going to have th- this extreme big stick diplomacy. And but besides, the only other thing besides what you just mentioned, I feel like is the most telling is the fact that in here they're talking about. Uh, I'll read exactly like you did, Sam. Prevent the PGA Tour from enforcing its unlawful restrictions on independent contractors, including the media rights re- uh, regulation and the conflicting events regulation. So that's essentially what Phil Mickelson brought up about owning the players' media rights, even whenever they don't play on PGA Tour events, and then the uh, co- the conflicting events regu- uh, regulations. That's the having to require a release to play in any other event. That's not a PGA Tour event. So I think that was probably the most telling from the lawsuit that I read. But I do think that it definitely sets an extreme precedent, Woody, and it says in here because if, if Liv does end up winning this lawsuit, and, and obviously things in the lawsuit can be amended or whatever, but at the same time, if this does go through, it sets a precedent, Woody, that the RNA and the Masters, PGA of America, USGA, they can't ban these guys because it's going to look like they're colluding with the PGA Tour, even if they may not be. Spot on. I, what I've said from the get-go on this, we'll have to have a movie after this. We'll call it The Karate Kid Takes on the PGA. It's a bully. It's a bully on the playground, and sooner or later, somebody steps up to the bully, and hopefully they knock the bully down and knock him out, and that's what we got going on. This bully is taking some severe blows right now, and they're doing everything in their power to stay the bully. I just don't know how often the bully ends up winning. I, I think at some point, the bully gets taken down, and when that does happen, I think you're going to have a lot of collateral damage i think you might have a new uh, commissioner when all this is said and done but you will have a completely different pga tour than what we have now boys you just hide and watch this there's going to be a lot of changes in the next 12 months a hundred percent and woody i want to go to you first on this because you played on the pga tour 
what do you, I mean, to me, the fact that they don't allow appeals for suspensions is just ludicrous to me, right? Totally wrong. It is totally wrong. It, it, it's earlier in the year. I told you guys that story about it. We, we owned an Airbnb, and there was a party going on, and we went over there and ran all the kids out, and one of the kids told the cops that I assaulted them. So I got a ticket, and it cost me $1,500 to get out of the ticket. Thank goodness I found a good lawyer. But the fact <laughs> that I was guilty. I was guilty. I, I, I didn't get to, I didn't get a chance to appeal. I didn't get anything. I just had a policeman walk up to me and hand me a ticket for assault and battery. And I didn't get to appeal. I didn't, I, all I, I, all I could do is try to defend myself in a court of law, which cost me money, but I did, I did get it expunged, but it was over, uh, it, it took almost six months and it was a fight. It was time I didn't need to do because I did nothing wrong. I did absolutely nothing wrong. Okay, so it's it, it's it's against all everything against the law that you can that you can't appeal, and that's why I say there's so many things they've done over the last thirty years, forty years, however long they've been an organization that they've gotten away with. I got a feeling that this is going to change, and and everybody's going to say, "Hey, you don't get to tell me what to do. You do not get to you know strong arm me." And to have to be able to do what you tell me to do. Not in today's world we live in. Everybody gets a right to bitch. Okay? And they need to appeal and they need to fight these guys to the bitter end. And thank goodness they got Greg Norman, which I said the ring. He stuck his heels. He just sunk his heels in the ground. He's going to fight to the bitter end. And that's great for not only the guys on the PGA Tour that dislike him right now. They're going to they're gonna send him a Christmas card when all this is said and done. Because he's going to make all golfers more wealthy than they ever were before. Good for Greg Norman. He's not my favorite guy, but good for him for getting his heels in the ground and saying, no, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm going to fight you. And he's got billions of dollars to fight him with. Good luck to the PGA Tour because they're going to lose. They're definitely fighting an uphill battle. And, you know, just to go on kind of what Woody dealt with and what you brought up, Sam, you know, the big thing that they're – well, one of the main things they're making in the lawsuit is the breach of contract for the – for the PJ Tour players, because what what should have happened was like we saw on the DP World Tour in the Scottish Open, where the guys like they didn't win the court case like Ian Poulter and those guys to get to play. There was just a stay on it to be able to still play while the appeal and the suspension, all that stuff was getting worked out. And that's what it, it lists in in the lawsuit's breach of contract is that the players they never had a chance to do that. And so that's exactly what what Gooch and Matt Jones and Hudson Swaffer are trying to do this week by get to play. In the sense of yes, there's their appeals and their suspensions may be going on, but they should get to play during that process, and that's exactly what we're seeing pan out. And and I just want to say this, just to just to all these things that I've seen, you know, the tour players say Jay Monahan, Davis Love the Third, they've said this quote, and it just infuriates me to hell. It says, "Oh, the the PJ Tour, the, the rules are written by the players for the players, so everything's good." It's like if I open a business and I decide to just make the own rules because I open the business. If I do unlawful, if I write unlawful rules, that doesn't make it okay. You still have to change the rules at some point to be able to make it to where you're not violating Sherman Act, the Carnegie Act, and all these other things that are listed in here. So I don't know, Sam. To me, it's the the fact that they, the tour and everyone just seems so empowered. And they even mentioned this in the lawsuit too. Davis loves saying, "Oh, if we lose in court, we're just going to ban." So they've said that the PJ Tour has set a precedent that they feel like they are above the law, and that's one of the things that I think is going to strike them down in this because. That everyone who, like what Woody's brought up before, judges a lot of times, 
they're not necessarily the most fluent in golf. They don't know all this stuff like we do in the inner workings of it, but they can look at the, the paper that I've read 105 pages of, and they can say, okay, yeah, some of this stuff really isn't adding up here. So I think that that is going to prove into Liv's favor, but it's just, I, I, I just can't believe all the different things that, that are on here in particularly. And it's just to Sam, it, it really is crazy. And they mentioned in here as well, you know, like another monopoly thing is the, um, you know, the uh, RNA or not. Yeah. The RNA and the masters eliminating uh, the Asian tour order of merit coming over because they end up partnering w- with the live essentially. So, so many inner workings to this, Sam, so many different parts. And it's and they detail also in there that the, the tour purses didn't increase, the T V ratings dropped over a five year period. It, it's pretty compelling stuff to me, Sam. It truly is. Yeah, hundred percent. And and just to be clear I, just to be clear, I will read Jay Monahan's statement from uh, Jay Monahan himself. He said, just to be clear, we will continue to defend the members who abide by the regulations written by and for the players. T-Dub, I don't see anywhere in those regulations that call these players employees of the PGA Tour. They're independent contractors, and I've heard many people say, just because you're an independent contractor doesn't mean I have to let you work for me. However, to me, with the PGA Tour partnering with the DP World Tour, and many players and, and just the public's opinion that's a monopoly in the fact that it's now keeping players from playing elite tournaments and trying to gain official world golf ranking points. It seems like I'm not a lawyer, but that seems like common sense to me, right? Well, and it's the, the, one of the things that, that the lawsuit has mentioned that the tour is doing for monopoly is essentially by banning the players from playing, they're making their product worse. And the, the example I made yesterday on the radio show is like you generally, whenever you think of a monopoly, you think of the big store and the little store and the big store just drops their prices so much because they have so much uh, more capital that they can, they have the opportunity to do that. So they run the lower business out. And that's essentially in a way what the PJ tour is trying to do by banning these other players from playing. They think that it's going to make live somehow worse. And, and in all honesty, it's just, it's an example of the tour trying to do things that aren't the best for their organization, which is an exactly anti-competitive, which is what all this has been saying. And it's, you know, you can look at it too. With the, they've also mentioned Woody that the that after Liv started, the tour started to copy their model in a sense. They announced the fall series going to have the top fifty and the FedEx Cup make the cut or go to play those select events in the fall with, with no cut guarantee, bigger purses and all that. So that's another thing listed there, Woody. So it's like I said, just so many moving parts. And I think that's very interesting because the tour absolutely hated what Liv was doing. And then a month later, they come up with all this money, and, and then they almost copy the model, almost verbatim of what the Liv's doing. It's absolutely, it's absolutely crazy. It is crazy, and and what we're at, what we're saying here, guys, and this is what makes it even more sound so stupid when we think about this. When you have a golf tournament, don't you want the best possible field you can get? Absolutely. And that's very that's what we want, even if it's it diluted a little bit and we don't have 44 events. Like Randy said, we have fewer events, but we want the best possible players every week to play. And the way this is falling out right now, the PGA Tour is saying, no, no, we don't want that. What we want is to control all the best players. Well, wait a minute. That's, like Sam said it best, common sense here, guys. Let's use common sense. Everything about this that the PGA Tour is fighting has no common sense to it whatsoever. That's why I say in the long run, in the end, PGA Tour is going to have a lot of mud in their face. 
and they're going to look really bad. The longer they fight this, the worse they're going to look. And guys, the last thing I want to get to from the lawsuit, it says that the purse sizes only increased two and a half percent from 2014 to 2019, uh, T-Dub. And you mentioned it a second ago, but think about the contracts we've seen in the NFL or in the NBA or even in Major League Baseball from 2014 until 2019, how much they grew. It wasn't just 2.5%. And I think that this is why the players are pissed off in the first place, right? Yeah, and so another thing that the lawsuit mentions along those exact same lines is they bring up, in 2019, Brooks Kepka was the leading money leader. And they compared what he made compared to other sports. And it was, Kepka was number one on the money list, made about 9 million bucks or something like that, maybe a little less than 10 million. He would have been like 128th highest player in the in the NFL. He would have been like the 121st highest player in the uh, NBA, and he would have been like 124th highest player in the MLB. So the number one golfer, uh, number one money making golfer of that year, would not have been the top 120 of any of the other major sports. That's absolutely astonishing to most, me, and it's crazy. Tina. I think the most interesting one is baseball because you can say, well, the NFL is just bigger, or the NBA is just bigger. Golf is just as big, if not bigger, than Major League Baseball. And give that number again for baseball. It was like 124th, I believe, or something like that. Um, I don't have the exact one in front, but it was somewhere between 121 and 128. All three of them were. Yeah. And he made he made nine million and change. How much did he spend? Yeah, that's right. That's another good point because because the, the players and those other things are spending me that. And we're not no, talking about spending the off the all course. The team yeah, we're talking about expenses to go to these tournaments and pay your caddy exactly. and all that. Exactly. Coach be all that stuff. Yes. Absolutely. So it, that, that $9 million is really closer, especially if you're flying net jets and doing some other things. Uh, that $9 million drops rapidly when you put all the expenses in there. And those other sports do not have expenses like that. They fly around on charter jets. They have all their food. They don't have caddies. They don't have to pay out their pocket for all the other things that are out there. hundred percent. Right, so I have it right here. Brooks Kepkin, 9.68 million in 2019. Would have been 129th on the NFL, 121st NBA, and 128th highest MLB player since. That's wow. absolutely unbelievable. What do you, how about you tell us about our friends at Quill Creek Bank for us? Oh, you bet you. Well, it, we always talk about how great a bank that is, but i tell you what it's a great bank for is a small business owner. If, if they're looking for a bank that understands their unique financial needs, would you like to kind of be able to have a relationship with a bank who knows you and who your business? I think most people would want to do that. That's their mission at Quail Creek Bank. They, they are what we call a family, and we've said it all along, and we consider our customers part of that family. So they go out of their way in every way to make sure that that business is successful. So come by there anytime, experience Quilker Bank, because it's a big difference in what you'll find. You can call them anytime at 405-755-1000, and guess what? Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 5 p.m., you're actually going to talk to somebody and you can communicate with a real human being. I said it once, I'll say it a million times. Well, Creek Bank, give them a try. You won't regret it. Beautiful stuff. And they are the nice guys uh, here in Oklahoma City. And guys, we had Golf Digest come out with the nicest guys on the PGA Tour 
Um, we went over this on the radio show yesterday. We got a lot of great responses. There was a lot of Colin Morikawa. We had some Victor Hovland. Um, but Tony Finau comes up on the top spot of the nicest guy on the PGA Tour, T-Dub. And I think it's pretty interesting that the nicest guy on the PGA Tour is also the best ball striker currently on the PGA Tour the last couple weeks. Yeah, the point I made was, man, I mean, Tony Fino's having one hell of a uh, freaking month, isn't he? I mean, he wins twice, wins over uh, almost over $3 million, and then all of a sudden he's voted the nicest guy amongst his peers. And, you know, <laughs> Sam, I just want to allude here, too. You know, th- th- this poll that we're reading here, it wasn't just like they interviewed five p- five players or something like that. They interviewed over 120 players, coaches, volunteers, um, just anyone who goes around the tour. It was just a huge, huge pool that they got together. And Fino was uh, number one well. Peter Malnati. Golf riders as well, yeah. So it was, you know, there there was a few surprises on the list, in my opinion. Some guys I thought may have been up there who shouldn't have been. But overall, Sam, I thought it was a pretty solid list, personally. Absolutely. And Woody, we had uh, Josh Creel weigh in yesterday during the radio show. He texted me and said, Peter Malnati is far and away the nicest guy on the PGA Tour. It says here that several players describe Malnati as relentlessly optimistic he's almost too nice and too happy jokes one player uh and peter malnati comes in at number two jordan speed number three rory mcelroy number four and ricky fowler number five do you have any thoughts on the top five nicest guys on the pga tour woody of course i didn't play with these guys so i i i'm i'm kind of being old school there when but i made the the statement yesterday it seemed like the nicest guys when I was out there were the proven veterans. I'll tell you one quick story that, that will show you that. When I became the director of golf at Gallardia, the owner of that club came to my office one day and he says, I want to redo some things out here on the golf course. Can you call Ben Crenshaw, Tom Watson, and Tom Kite? <laughs> well, let me tell you something, guys. I hadn't been on the tour since 1994. I had not seen these guys. I would seen them briefly when I got qualified to play a PGA through the club pro. But I really didn't actually have contact with them. I was able to get all three numbers. All three of those guys couldn't have been nicer to me. All of them, except Crenshaw said, I'm not coming back to do it because I don't want to do something that Arthur Hills had done. I don't want to change. I'm not that guy. I build myself with Coon. But Tom Kite, Tom Watson, both flew in. Both went around the golf course. Both were couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been more friendly. And you know what? Those guys were the guys, like I said, Nick Price was another one I gave you that was just unbelievably kind. In 1994, when he won the PGA at Southern Hills, I was working with Bill Teagans up there. Teagan said, what is there any chance we can get an interview with Nick Price? I caught Nick Price after he'd won, going to the scorecard, sign his card. I said, is there any chance I can do an interview with you? He said, Woody, as soon as I get done with this, you'll be the first guy I talk to. Well, I didn't do it, but Bill Teagans did. Teagans, from that day on, thought I was just short of a god. <laughs> that I could pull him off. And I said, hey, Bill, it's only because he's that nice a guy. It wasn't because I'm anything special. He's just that good a guy. So those were the guys that I was uh, associated with. And the ones you just listed, I could see that. I could see where every one of those guys is always going to be friendly, He's not going to be worried about the rookie taking his spot. He's going to help wherever he's asked. And 
he'll go, all those guys will go out of their way to try to make somebody comfortable. And so kudos to them that they actually do something like this where they get some accolades for not being a jerk, okay? The guys that are usually the jerks on the PGA Tour, the guys that can't hardly keep their card and they're trying to keep a living going, those are the most unfriendly guys. The ones that are very successful are usually some of the most friendly because Ricky Fowler shouldn't be a happy-go-lucky guy right now. He's playing like dog dog, okay? But it shows who Ricky Fowler is. So good for them. Good they got the accolades, and I think that's cool that they do that. And Woody, to round out the top ten, we have Webb Simpson at six, then Harold Varner, and then Colin Morikawa, and then local Victor Hovland. I know you and I have both spent some time around Victor Hovland. That probably would have been my vote for number one. What do you think of Victor Hovland, Woody? Oh, man, what a class act. And and and, and to be as successful as Victor has and not get uppity and not get to that big head, uh, again, it proves that I think these guys were raised the right way as kids, believe it or not. And 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 a lot of them, especially like me now, he struggled. He was not a superstar from the get-go. He never was. But he's gotten to be what I'd call pretty close to the superstar the PGA Tour is looking for. So I would put Victor Hoblin number one, two of the guys I know of them because he's around us. Uh, but if I was around Jordan Spieth all the time, he's probably that guy and Tony Finau for sure. And Colin Marikawa always seemed that way. Very, very humble. Even when he was winning majors, stayed humble, is always going to be that. So, And that separate isn't going to change its thoughts. I can tell you that. Those guys that are voted that, they'll be voted that 20 years from now if somebody asks. And T-Dub, I have to make a correction from yesterday because at number 10 comes in Stuart Sink. And I talked about on the radio show yesterday how I still, I don't care if he's a nice guy, I can't stand Stuart Sink because I love Tom Watson. My middle name is Watson and he beat him in 2009. However, not only did I hate Stuart Sink yesterday, I accidentally killed him off because I, st- I said it was the uh, the Stuart Sink Award uh, for the late Stuart Sink. I meant the Payne Stewart Award uh, presented <laughs> annually to the pro golfer who exemplifies the late Stuart's values of character, charity, and sportsmanship. So I'm sorry to Stuart Sink that not only uh, was I talking about hating you for the 2009 British Open win, uh, but I accidentally killed him off as well yesterday uh one one little uh thing that i wanted to say was this is just the pga tour i think that uh one guy that really sticks out to me or really two guys that stick out to me as far as nice guys i I gotta say our guy taylor gooch but also uh charles howe the third has to be on this list somewhere and he's not t-dub i completely agree i think that it's an interesting conundrum i would like to see how many how many live guys were on that list. And, and, you know, and I was thinking about, you know, who are some names that I may throw on this list as well? I, I thought Preston Poole brought up Max Homie yesterday. I thought he would have been on this list. I mean, it's top 30, and he's so well out there on tour. I thought he would have been somewhere around Harold Varner's seventh, uh, Victor Hovland ninth. I thought he would have been somewhere around that area. And then I know he's not going to get that much recognition, but I was thinking about some local guys. Obviously, I'm not picking favorites because almost every local guy is extremely nice, but. Robert Streb is extremely over-the-top nice. Like, he yes. was one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. So, I, I think that he would get a, a place on this list, even if we broke it down. I understand Peter Monathi's not the biggest name in the world, but I feel like a lot of guys on here are kind of like Woody said, or the veterans, or either they're the young guys who are getting off to really good starts to their career, so they're going to be more or less happy. So, But there are some other guys, like Jason Day was on there, uh, Adam Scott. On the Scotty Scheffler came in at 21st. He comes off as a, a pretty nice guy. I know me and Sam have both played with him some, and he was 
definitely nice to me. Hopefully it's nice to Sam. Sam Burns got his way up there the 14th, so I think that was pretty interesting. And to me, Woody, it's just nice to see that a lot of guys on this list do seem to be younger guys because it just shows that the game of golf is in such a good place going forward. Oh, for sure. And and I think that's what we got to be excited about. Golf's good. Golf's good. I know we're, we're about to lose Tiger. Tiger can't play forever, especially with injuries. And we we need we need our organization, which is still the best professional athletes out there. They're the only ones they don't try to cheat. Football, they try to cheat. They deflate footballs. Uh, basketball, that's just nothing but cheaters. Oh, I got fouled. I got fouled. I got this. I got that. Major League Baseball, we don't see a lot of it anymore because not a lot of people watch it. But there's some derelicts out there. Name me any professional sports where they call a penalty on themselves, okay? That's why as golfers, we should always hold uh, – our, our heads ought to be higher than anybody else because we've got something that this country is missing right now, and it's called morals. <laughs> we don't lie, we don't cheat, and we don't steal. Those three things a PGA Tour player doesn't do. And if he does, he's going to get run off. Uh, well, Patrick Reed. <laughs> He's got run off because yeah. he, he's not what we look at as golfers of having those high morals and doing the right things. And and it's not just on the golf course. Look around everywhere these guys. Look at the time they donate. Look at what they do for charity. He does it best. All these guys around Oklahoma City that we get to see at Oak Tree or wherever it is, find me a bad guy. Find me one of those guys that you wouldn't say, "Hey, yeah, I'll go have a beer with this guy," because you won't. They're not. They're not there. So, kudos to our profession that we hold that standard to all the guys that get out there. Guys, thank you so much for the great show. We have the FedEx St. Jude, the first year that it is a playoff event. Obviously, Abe Answer uh, will not be defending his championship, guys, uh, this coming week. Uh, Tony Finau won the first playoff event uh, last year, and so it'll be interesting to see if Tony Finau can continue his great play uh, in the first playoff event. Guys, thank you so much. Did we miss anything today, T-Dub? No, not that, not so off the top of my head. No, I think that we've had uh, an exhilarating finish to the to the PGA Tour season with figuring out the top one twenty five. Are now we're finally getting in the playoffs, so going to see some exhilarating stuff. And then right after Tour Championship, I think maybe we'll see a little bit hold off for the Presidents Cup, but we're going to see a max influx of, of definitely live and uh, PGA Tour debate coming up. So we got a very eventful uh, golf season to keep continuing, even with football just around the court. 100% guys. Woody, thank you so much. We will be back on Wednesday to preview the FedEx St. Jude for you guys. Get all our DraftKings picks, everything. I know we weren't there uh, last week. We had some issues with the scheduling, but we will be back with our DraftKings one and done full preview of the FedEx St. Jude on Wednesday. This has been Sam Humphreys along with Taylor Williams and Jim Woodward. Big thank you to Rian Gibson for joining the show as well. You have been listening to the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>